Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Critical Conversations, my guest is Mike Govro, who many of you will recognize from our regular Shop Talk show. In this session, we dig into the lost art of the dialectic and also unpack the Socratic method. We start by defining some terms. We talk about the relevance of the dialectic in today's world. We discuss optimal obstacles that prevent high quality discussions. We cover what goes into a good faith conversation. And we really dig into the fact that we're in a sense-making crisis right now. Really enjoyed learning and researching for this episode, and I hope you find the content impactful in your own life. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. Our team discovered the powerful mental and physical benefits of playing on a balance beam several years ago, and since then we've worked hard to manufacture high-quality beams in Canada. Our product design philosophy is less but better, and to keep the design simple so that you can creatively express complex movements while having fun and training your ability to focus. If you check out tfc-shop.com, you'll see our growing selection of balance beams. And for a detailed system of how to progress from beginner to advanced, uh, to advanced rather, on the beam, you can check out beamtribe.com and join our health community for full access to advanced software. This episode of the show is also brought to you by our first footwear product released at TFC called the FC.5. Our aim was to create a piece of footwear designed for movement, shaped like the foot, um, and priced at 50 bucks Canadian. The shoe is officially released on October 2nd of 2020. And if you want to grab a pair, you can visit disruptfootwear.com and check out details about those. Lastly, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great service that gets you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out the roasterspack.com and use the code foot at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors. So let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick here for another episode of Critical Conversations. The conversation today is with Mike Govero, who's uh, my counterpart on Shop Talk episodes. And the topic is dialectic and the Socratic method. Those sound like really big, funky words, but... We'll explain it um, hopefully in a way that makes them more tangible and also reinforces the importance of these topics at a time like right now. So really excited about this one because uh, of its relevance. And uh, like we've said before, our Critical Conversations is all about un unpacking topics and digging into the nuance um, so that we can dissect concepts that can sometimes be confusing or some people um, might not be aware of, but that are really important to talk about um, to be able to have society that's able to sort of move forward and progress so mike thanks for thanks for coming excited for this one yes and um even before we start you know like a month ago you said um let's do an episode on dialectic and i was like dial what like mm -hmm. i didn't even know what it was and and it's very interesting after looking into it it's like this is a really important topic how have i never heard of this like i've, I've heard of the socratic method but when um out of curiosity when did you first hear that like do you remember who you heard it from or when you heard it um, I've heard the term before, but I never actually like looked into it, but it was more mm. looking into, uh, I think it was some interviews with Daniel Schmachtenberger. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, who he kind of got into the nuts and bolts of it. So then I researched it a lot more and kind of its roots cool. and all of that. Um, uh, and then, yeah, realized that it's quite applicable today for sure. Oh, um, and so it always applicable. has been, it has been. <laughs> And we'll show that it's been applicable for, for thousands of years before Jesus's time when Socrates was around and right. and doing the same same thing. So it's funny how stories don't really change over time, right? Like the same story plays out within a different context or, di you know, we have different technologies, we live different lives, but it's the same core story of like people trying to make sense of the world and the struggle to work against people who are interested in not having people be informed and aware of what's actually going on, right? Yep. Or being able, trying to engineer the perception of the public. And you see that very much right now. And I think in a digital era where most people spend the majority of their time in the virtual world instead of the natural world, it is easier than ever to engineer the narrative because people are exposed to something that can be controlled almost all day long. Yeah, it's on all-time high, like the polarization and the echo chamberization and, and all of that and extremism yeah i mean these things are all we talked about this in previous podcasts but these things are all incentivized because they steal our attention and our attention is very valuable and so that is sort of almost um disrupted the fabric of of like a social society 
right? Yeah. Where it makes us all argue, it makes us all confused because it's really profitable when that happens. And divided it's a, it sucks, and it pushes us away from the truth of um, kind of what is, and and like it increases this deception. Self deception is a big thing, right? Um, and self deception can be at all time highs when this is happening. Um, group deception. So we're we're kind of deceiving ourselves to think, identify with this kind of thing, whereas some other group might have some pretty good points. But then right. because you've deceived yourself so, so much into thinking this way, you're not taking these other valid points. Well, this is what dialectic is all about. Right. It's, let's it's, dig into it. Let's, de- yeah. let's even define it. So for someone who's never heard of dialectic or the dialectical method, um, I'll let you lead it off and then yeah. I'll bring up some points that I have. So it, its base word is dialogue. And it's a, so there's a few ways of looking at it. It's a discourse between two or more people uh, looking uh, or or holding different points of view on a subject, um, but wishing to establish a truth through um, basically reasoned methods of argumentation. So it's different from a debate, but it's people who, and we'll talk about the elements and we'll break it down. Um, It's the, it's kind of the art of investigating or discussing the truth um, and, and the truth is a big part of it. It's it's discussion by reasoning and by dialogue, um, and it's intellectual investigation. So it's really kind of parties getting together and saying, let's investigate what the actual truth is, and let's investigate why we think about uh, things differently. Here's mm-hmm. your point of view. Here's my point of view. Okay, what are you thinking? What am I thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. Questioning, questioning, trying to uncover what it, can we can we leave? And again, this is part of it. Is can we leave? Um, you know, there's not there's not a winner in this. That's right. the biggest thing. Is that's, that I feel like that's where it differs from debate. It's where different the, from the debate. goal is to have victory to prove your point is more valid than the others. Whereas yep. this, and, and one of the things that <clears throat> I think is really important um, from the first definition you gave was wishing to establish truth. And to me, mm-hmm. that is almost like coming into a um, conversation with in good faith that you want to collaboratively work to yep. find out what the most valid perspective is. And your your intention is to work together, right? Yeah. Not to, not to prove that your perspective is right. And that's a totally, you know, it's very subtle, but that's a very different mindset. And I think something yeah. you see all the time today where people are way more interested in proving they're right than they are in even hearing the other person out or finding a common ground, like a synthesis. Yeah, so that synthesis is a big part of it too. So like the definition of dialectical thinking would be the ability to view issues from multiple perspectives and to arrive at the most economical and reasonable reconciliation or Mm. synthesis of seemingly contradictory information or postures. So again, it's like things might seem that they're completely polar opposites, but maybe in the dialectic we can say, oh, okay, kind of makes sense that you're coming at it from this angle. Here's the angle I'm coming at. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we reconcile this and find some middle ground? And maybe you don't find a middle ground, but maybe the the kind of thinking gets pushed to a new level so that both parties understand um, where each other are coming from a little bit better and and maybe it pushes the thinking of each party. So um, it's really kind of like, can we like clash some ideas together in a, in a kind of a good faith way and try to, to understand better? Um, yeah, the winning and losing is a huge thing that it, that it isn't right. and and that we've just attached to so much. is like, oh, that, that person won, that person lost the, right. the argument. And I think I did, a, uh, I did an episode with Jane Nara and he had a great analogy. He said, um, I think he... He used it in, within the context of mediation, which is kind of like what this is. Right? We're mediating two parties to come to a mutual agreement. Yeah. Um, and he talked about it how, okay, each person basically comes to a table with a clay ball. And most of the time, people are trying to destroy the other person's clay ball so that yours is the one left standing. Yeah. Whereas in dialectical, it's almost like, okay, we're going to take your clay ball and my clay ball. We're going to put it in the middle. We're going to meld them together. And we're both going to almost like carve a new ball out of both of our balls. Yeah. And we have to both have effort put into it. We have to see each other's perspectives and we have to come to a mutual agreement where we can both be proud of the clay ball we've created. And, and that's very is a, different. Effort is huge too. It, it takes actually, and and when we get to Socrates, that's that's part of it is that he, yeah, would, hard. <laughs> he would not want to, um, he'd kind of just leave people in, um, he, he'd kind of leave a conversation when he saw that the other party was not putting effort into it. He hmm. wanted all of his students to match his effort and people who, who he talked to, he's like, if we're going to be discussing, I need you to actually take this seriously and, and discuss with me. Right. If you're just going to be lazy and make lazy arguments or not even put effort into thinking, we're wasting our time here. I'm just going to give you a silly answer and I'm going to leave. And it's so funny because when people start to, you know, you also have to come to the table with a similar skill set and, and, um, 
you know, background understanding of what a conversation actually is, right? Like if you have a conversation with a five-year-old who has no idea what an adult conversation is like, um, that five-year-old might seemingly win the conversation because the adult might just be like, I'm done with this. And, and saying, I don't, I'm no longer going to pursue this conversation with you because you're not actually being an adult and you don't, you're not putting in the same amount of effort or have the same amount of understanding. You know, I think some people feel like, oh, I won because they, they left the table. Yeah. You can scream. Right. And win, and you can think about right. it. So that's where it's not about winning. It's it's always back to that. And why don't we break down some like elements of dialect, sure. the dialectic, and um, maybe kind of have a, have a few listed here, and you can add some as well, and we'll yeah. kind of break them down. But um, one of them would be um, open mindedness. So mm-hmm. you need to enter with an open mind. And, and how would you define open mindedness? Because I've heard a lot of definitions, and I have my own, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, like I guess the the biggest thing would be um, you're going in there with the uh, with a mind that you're you're not identifying or attaching to any ideas, the mm-hmm. identification with the ideas or the things that you're talking about is is really um, you, you got to separate that, and you have this mind that's very very pliable, and and it's and you're ready to change, you're ready to adapt, you're ready to synthesize, mm-hmm. um, you're ready to completely admit that you were wrong if you need to. Um, but it's just having that open mind and, and, and just being like more free form and, and, and like, you're like, okay, we're doing this thing. Who knows what's going to come out of it? I don't know what's going to come out as opposed to going in and being like, Hey, we're going to win this thing. I know I'm going to defend this idea to the death, the the, uh, polar opposite thing. And that's, you know, that the opposite would be closed minded or like stuck in dogma. (laughs) Yeah. To me, open minded is just a willingness to see different perspectives, not just to like see them, but to actually try and place yourself uh, within that context, like to actually identify with multiple perspectives at yeah. a given time, which is actually very hard for people, right? It, it forces them to go far beyond the box that we're usually asked to be in, right? Yeah. Usually it's this perspective, it reflects my understanding. This feels safe. So I have yeah. this, it's almost like your perspective and your idea is like armor. And when you are forced to see another perspective, it's almost like you have to remove your armor for a short period of time and be vulnerable to admit that, Wow, I didn't actually know that. Truly That's stepping so into their shoes, stepping into their shoes, and and just right. um, and saying like, I tr- I really want to know. I really want to know where they're coming from, and I want to understand where they're coming from. Yes. Um. So that's kind of that open mindedness, and like with that comes one um, other element is like the sincerity and earnestness. So you really need mm. to come at it and just be. Um. You could say good faith, sincerity, yep. earnestness. Um, there needs to be an honesty thing. too. Like you don't, yeah. you, if you have a hidden agenda or, or some sort of thing you're trying to do without, without letting the other person know that it gives this, it basically undermines the quality of the conversation. So I think sincerity is just being, being honest and being forthright with your intention Yeah, and want to, and good and intention. Like, yeah, good intention. It's hard to, it's hard to nail down what good faith and bad faith actually means, but I think you can, I have a, sort of an understanding of the things that surround those things. But I think sincerity is a big element of good faith. Sincerity. And so that's a huge part of dialectic and dialectical thinking and, um, and uh, the dialectic itself. Um, Emotional intelligence would be another um, big part of it. And and in that, it, 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 the biggest thing is not letting your emotions and not, not kind of like giving into your emotions when somebody is, well, even the word like attacking your ideas, we might think of it as an attack on our ideas or even attack on us if we identify with the ideas. Right. So do we have the emotional awareness and emotional intelligence to be able to like identify like, oh, I'm getting kind of like, you know, I'm feeling attacked right now emotionally, mm-hmm. but oh, that's just that we're, we're doing this thing and, 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 you know, somebody's presenting something that's going against what I thought. So um, am I going to like shell up and defend, defend, um, or can I have the emotional intelligence to just, again, kind of play into this dialectic and let it be and identify with what the other person's coming from? Right. And yeah, that's, that's huge. Self-awareness is so huge because you don't know what you don't know. So if you're not even aware of your own biases or of your own, um, propensities to identify with concepts, then you won't know when you're defending your identity, when in reality, your identity is not even being questioned. Yeah. Your character is not being questioned. The idea you're putting forth is being questioned. So yeah, I think emotional intelligence is massive. And if anyone wants to unpack that further, we did an entire, you know, 90 minute podcast on emotional intelligence and broke that down. So that might be worth a listen if you're not familiar with it, but yeah, that's definitely, I didn't have that listed as an element, but that is such a crucial element. I think it's a huge one and like not getting emotional about it. And I think that's like that alone is a huge problem for people. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't take so, things personally. Yeah, not taking because that is going to just 
chop, it, it, that's just going to stop the dialectic in its tracks, right? So that's kind of a huge, um, and you see why dialectical, the dialectic is so hard to actually come about is because <laughs> yeah. there's so many of these things that, but it's needed. Um, another element would be um, a, again, a kind of a sincere or honest desire for the truth and not to be right. Um, so with that comes a willingness to be wrong or a willingness to change your mind. Right. So, and this is all in pursuit of the truth. And both parties need to be also be looking at the same thing. So if both parties are looking at the truth, both of them are willing to um, mm-hmm. to be wrong or change their stance or adapt their stance, synthesize their stance, whatever it might be. Yeah, like a malleability of the way you think. Um, and like people, people really, I think, identify being wrong as a flaw. And that in itself is a... It, basically, if you're scared of being wrong, um, then that is synonymous with saying you're scared to learn. Yeah. Because if you're never wrong, or if you never want to be wrong, then you're never going to actually lean into learning and seeing different things that might be different from the way you currently think of things. And I think this is where um, where medicine is starting to hit, uh, is, is starting to break down, right? Like the the unwillingness to see beyond the current dogma of the way things are being done forces us to stay in the same it forces us to be static in an environment that change happens every day every week every hour in terms of our knowledge and but if you're unwilling to entertain other perspectives and admit that okay well maybe the way we're doing this isn't right if you're unwilling to entertain that then you're going to be stuck in dogma and eventually you're going to be replaced you're or you're going to harm people yeah you're going to grasp on for dear life until it uh you know and, and that's a big part of it is like that is self-deception and it's like group deception and yeah. it's like idea deception. Um, well, I think medical school is the indoctrination into group deception. Like you're literally paying shitloads of money to be indoctrinated into a way of thinking, which is unflexible. And that, that like, that is a innate foundational flaw. No. Yeah. And no, I mean, that's, I think that's present in so many different things, like For sure. politics and all of that. Um, but I think that if we, and it doesn't mean that, I think we just need to take these elements and kind of sprinkle it into education as a whole. I would say mm-hmm. that education as a whole is like that um, yeah, from day one. I agree. And, it, and it's, and it's just something that not shitting on docs, just <laughs> on, you know, I do, I do the same thing with physio because I think it's all in the same boat. Yeah. And it's nothing wrong with like <clears throat> with, but it's like the, the openness to change is the biggest part of it. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, let's, um, so as we, as we've seen, there's a bunch of elements here. Um, and I think that dialect re- requires a lot of these preconditions to be present for it to actually work. So right. um, the reason why a lot of dialect is, is impossible to happen is because these preconditions, either one or many or all, are not present um, and we get stuck up. Or we have this kind of like, um, we, we look at it as, as debate because debate has been something that like even from politics is like, oh, the debates are on. It's always... Like we're just like uh, programmed to think like debate is where it's at. Debates in school, the the debate club, Mm -hmm. everything's debate. Um, So with that comes like it's all tribal winner loser rhetoric. Um, Can we can we use words to deceive the the thing that like lawyers use a lot of a lot of this too. It's like you know I'm not so concerned about what the truth is. How can we make it seem like this is the truth? Right. Not the actual (laughs) truth. We don't want the actual truth because I know this person's guilty, but I'm going to defend them. Right. rhetoric so it's weird it's like um there's like this throwing aside of the truth and and trying to like win lose all of that yeah um so. and and like rhetoric would be the art of persuasive speaking yeah and not not really have any um you know it could it, surely you can use persuasive speaking to reinforce the truth but yes i think pers like even persuasive you're trying to persuade people instead of actually engaging in a path of inquiry so that alone means that there's there's something missing there for it to actually be a truth-seeking method um, because it comes from the assumption that you know and you're trying to convince people of what you know and not necessarily try and inquire. Yeah, and even so. since, like, maybe this is a good time to dive into back in the day because yeah. even in Socrates' time, we're talking like 469 BC um, when he was born, but before that there was these these people called the sophists and they would actually uh they were all about rhetoric and and there was a bunch of people there was a huge industry at the time and people were actually (laughs) leaving their jobs to pursue uh the rhetoric industry because they were helping people to um, get better at like um, the art of persuasion so that they could gain more power and influence in whatever they were in Mm. so people were being kind of trained and socrates came and he's like 
that's not my game. I'm going for the truth. Like, I don't, right. you know, so then it, it was kind of like, that was a big shift in it. Whereas people were, cause they were just starting to like use words in different ways and get really, um, this whole like rhetoric thing was, was becoming huge. Well, you can hack human, some of these innate human vulnerabilities in the way you speak, right? Like you can test different things and then you see what works and what doesn't based on people's reactions. And, you know, very persuasive speakers are, you know, you can use that for good or you can use it for bad, yeah. right? Like Tony Robbins is a very persuasive speaker and surely he helps a lot of people, but Donald Trump is also a very persuasive speaker. And, you know, maybe that allowed him to get elected when he wasn't the best person to lead the entire country. And it's like, we have to just be mindful that if you emphasize rhetoric and persuade and persuading people, the art of persuasion, um, you can sometimes give that tool, that very powerful tool to the wrong people. And that's where yeah. we run into issues. And it doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with the truth. And sometimes it goes actually completely against. counter against it. Right. Um, so, so I think that we need, and that's maybe another thing at the end is like, we need, we need leaders that are actually going after the truth. Right. We need institutions that are going after the truth, right? We've gotten so far away from the actual truth and we've gotten so far into this rhetoric game, which has been going on for thousands of years, mm -hmm. um, that it's, it's like more deceiving than ever. It's like, right. Uh, whoever sounds the best, right? It, it it's comes a popularity down to contest, yeah. basically. That's it. So. I, I really like how, like, you know, one of the things, well, two things that I sort of came across when I was looking into the Socratic method is th uh, one of the points was through questioning, we can get much closer to the truth than just giving facts, right? Yeah. That's a much more, it's a much, you know, I heard someone say this once that it's it's much better to ask deep questions than to give superficial answers. Yeah. And it just shows that, like, Asking questions is essentially the admission that you don't know. And if you're saying you do know, then the onus is on you to be able to answer questions yeah. asked of you that are giving scrutiny to what you claim to know. That's it. So that's what, so if we kind of give a little history on Socrates, and that's exactly kind of what he was about. So he was born back in 469 BCE, Athens. So the Athens was at its heyday, it's at its prime. Um, so he would go around and, um, he uh, basically not much is known about him because he actually didn't have any writings. Plato is one of his uh, best students and Plato wrote all about him. Um, but basically he would, he was a character, but he was known as, <laughs> he ended up being known as the wisest man in Athens. Right. And he didn't even call himself that. He actually said he, that he wasn't the wisest man, but right. he, he was known from everybody as the wisest man. He set out to prove that he wasn't the wisest yeah. man by questioning the, the people who he deemed to be wise and realized <laughs> that they weren't that wise because they said they knew everything. And when yeah. he questioned them, they broke down. <laughs> That's it. So, so this guy, and what he, he was all about the, so the Socratic method is what uh, kind of came about from this. And at its core, it's um, kind of a form of cooperative argumentative dialogue between indiv individuals based on asking and answering questions to stimulate critical thinking and to draw out ideas and underlying presuppositions. So it's really to draw out these presuppositions where basically like implicit assumptions that somebody has. Which they may not even realize they, they not, have. They may not know. So he, he's like, he was big on like the spirit of inquiry. He was big on uncovering the truth. He's big on questioning assumptions. And so many people, especially in that time, had so many assumptions, you know, whether it was like, because like, think about it, they didn't have science back then. in uh, in what we know today, um, they believed in many different things. And, and we just didn't know what we so there was so many people just assuming he's like, how do you know that? Right? So how right. did you come to that conclusion? And somebody's like, well, because of this. And he's like, well, well, how did you know that? And he's like, uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I don't know. And then the person would start thinking and their head would spin. Right. And then he's like, well, see, so you don't know that. Yeah, you and haven't then, gone very deep in your path of inquiry. So the person would then either, <laughs> now, as you can see, he would actually, he was well known for going around in the marketplace and going, going all around. And he would, he would just, um, uh, he would scrutinize people, but he was asked them questions and he would come at it in different manners. Sometimes he'd be very playful. He'd use a lot of humor, um, but he would question people in power, politicians. Um, he, would, he would question the, the um, you know, the religious authorities, random people. <laughs> That's some students. dangerous shit, my friend. <laughs> so he was going around all day being like, hey, what, you know, and he would and he would love to question the people who claim to be the wisest. So the people right. who said that, hey, I know everything, right? He would, go and he would just start grilling them and he would break their arguments apart like that and and in the process he would actually um you know a lot of people didn't like him for this but a lot of people Big really surprise. liked him right because his students really found that wow i'm actually 
thinking about things way differently. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the big bases of critical thinking as it, as it is, um, you know, critical thinking comes from Socrates, right? Wow. Um, so cool. yeah. And wh- one thing I really love about the Socratic method is it gives you a way to scrutinize commonly held beliefs or common narratives without assuming, you know, the truth yeah. this is very important. Right. And you know, yes. I, I actually saw something the other day. Uh, it was a post on Instagram that actually got blocked and censored. And the post was essentially someone holding up like a, uh, you know, a board at, at like a, I don't know, at a protest or something like that. And it asked two questions. So there were two questions and this got blocked. When people are asking questions without saying any statements and those things are getting blocked and censored, wow. we have a big problem. I think one of them said, if masks work, then let families visit dying relatives in hospitals. If masks don't work, um, then... Uh, remember what the other point was but basically there were two questions and then at the end it said someone is lying and there were two contradictions it was basically mm-hmm. if masks work then we then why are we doing this if they don't work then why are we doing this and and that then got it got blocked. blocked it got censored wow it got deleted by instagram or facebook and i don't know if it was an algorithm that did there if a question a, got blocked a question got blocked so wow. this is a big problem when we when people who are asking good questions like really good questions that are questioning the narrative not assuming they know the truth but are just questioning things get blocked or censored or deleted. Um, this is a really that's a really good litmus test that we have a big effing problem with the way we're going about society right now. And that's a good point. Is like I like that point. Is you don't necessarily need to know the answer. And you no. you even say, hey, I don't know. like because people will often come at you and say like you'll ask a question and and uh, and, and then they'll say, well, well, what do you well, what do you think? Like you, what do you have to say about it? And you're right. like, well, I don't know. Like right, I'm trying to figure I, it but out. I'm saying you don't know either. <laughs> like we're, we're, it's like. How do you know? Like, the burden of proof is on the knower. Yeah. Always. It, exactly. So if you're saying you know, like, I'm not saying I know, you're saying you know, so explain. And right. all, all we're saying is, please explain. And you should be able to, if you claim to know the truth about something, you should you should be happy to explain. Yeah, you should be proud why. to explain. You should be, if you really know the truth, you should be willing to get grilled all day and be like, ah, I know, I know. I can explain right. this. I can explain that. This is how I came to this. This is how I came to that. Right. Oh, that's a good question. This is how I came to If you to have it. nothing to hide, you should, be, you should be okay with it. That's it. So that's so- Socrates is saying, like, I don't necessarily know. But you know what? You don't either. And I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to question you. And maybe you do know. And I'm going to keep questioning you. And I might, until I may find some holes in your game. Right. Um, or I find, I'll, I'll find areas of ignorance or these contradictions. Pre- contradictions. Presuppositions. Are, that's the big thing is like when you say two things that contradict each other, that isn't in. So either the assumption you've made is false um, because it's contra- two two parts of your assumption are contradicting each other. So there has to be one of those two things that are false. And if that mm-hmm. base assumption is false, everything you've layered on top of that assumption will also inherently be false. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I mean, I th- when people get really defensive and upset that you're asking them questions, um, then it, it tells you something. It tells, it tells you either they're not confident in what they're claiming to know, or they're trying to deceive you and are worried that you're going to see the deception in some form of contradiction. Yeah. Either way, that's, that tells you something. That's it. So if we look at it back from this has been going on back uh, for thousands of years, right? So we see this happening and this exposing of false beliefs. Um, really, a lot of it is based on this exposure of, of false beliefs or assumptions like we talked about it, which then will will the idea is that will lead you ideally to uh, closer towards the truth. Yeah. In a perfect world, that will lead you closer to it won't necessarily show you what the truth is. It'll show you, oh, I'm on the wrong path. Or that's not the truth, but maybe I start thinking about it more. And yeah. the things that you question me on, oh, that's that was a good, ah, uh, that's a huge hole in it. I need to start rethinking that. So the whole spirit of Socrates was to get you thinking. Get you think think more about this, right? I found some huge holes in your game. Think about it. Keep thinking. Right. And and I and the whole spirit of inquiry is like Socrates is not just trying to randomly shit on you all day. No. He's trying to get you to start thinking better and getting all the students to think better. Because the better everyone thinks, the better we're gonna exactly. get closer to the truth. Like it's That's it's a it. really good asset to have a lot of good thinkers thinking about big problems. In fact, I think collaboration and collective um dialectic. thinking, collective dialectic and collective sense making is the only path to the truth. It's impossible for an individual to do that. Um, and we need multiple perspectives in order to stress through that ideas, process of elimination, Mm -hmm. stress test, all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of the places that we'd usually find that, like, for example, rigorous journalism has essentially died because now newspapers and journalism companies have to compete for attention 
instead of focusing on the discovery of truth. And in fact, mm. some of them are actually um, punished for seeking the truth, which is the most effed of part. Oh, yeah, that, that's it. And if you look back in... And that existed way back then, too, because <laughs> what happened to Socrates? <laughs> that ex- and we'll get to that. Like it's, so what you're saying is that we need groups of people. And what what is basically... Back in that time, they had these things called Socratic circles. And Socratic circles came about, and they're used today in like institutions like universities, um, especially in like philosophy programs and stuff like that. But the mm-hmm. Socratic circle is basically... Um, it's this, it's, it's, you know, typically there'd be like an outer group and an inner group. And it's usually used to analyze a text or an article or something or a concept or an idea, but the inner group will start having a dialogue about it. And the outer group will just listen, 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 what's going on in that inner circle. What are they talking about? Hmm. And then the outer circle will have a chance to kind of like, um, as active listeners kind of start to, to chime in and, and, and question the people who are questioning in the middle. So it's this kind of back and forth questioning, um, what is the goal of it is to um, use dialogue to gain a deeper understanding of a concept, mm. right? So this is just, it's something that, um, you know, it's it's something, what is the goal of everybody there? It's to ha- all have a collective better understanding of what they're, whatever they're talking about. Right. Uh, and it's using dialectic as a uh, as a part of it. Can you imagine, I wonder if that's what, uh, I watched a video recently by John Verveke and he talked about circling. I wonder if that's kind of what he's talking about. Pro- probably. It seems like he's that. big on yeah. on that type of thing. You know, can you just imagine thought experiment if before, before, like, for, let's use a, a, a context example, before the Canadian government made any law about masks, can you imagine if they filmed live a um, circling exercise where all the main decision makers and the scientists, you know, which I don't even think there are any scientists playing a role in this. Um, <laughs> can you imagine if they had a filmed live circling session where people were encouraged to ask questions in order to determine truth about whether or not we should instill a law about masks. Can you imagine if that was filmed, if it was given to the public, if it was fully transparent? Can you imagine how different that would end up than the case now where basically behind closed doors, you don't even know what's going on, who's involved, what questions are being asked. But out of that, a rule comes out that affects everyone's personal freedom and health, and we're not given any rationale or explanation that is good enough to really warrant something of that magnitude. And no questions can be asked about it or, right. or, or other concepts. Like it's just like you line up the concepts or line up the thing. <laughs> right. That's tip it's, of the iceberg. Nothing can be questioned these days. Um, and, and that's where, um, and that's actually back to Socrates is like, he, he was really against the democracy in Athens at the time because he believed that he saw this exact same thing happening. He said, mm. people will get into power. I'm seeing these politicians and these people using rhetoric getting into power and they're not concerned about the truth at all. And and guess what? As they gain more power, they're going to get their friends and uh, friends into the mix and, and we're going to be cut off and the truth is going to be cut off and we're not going to have anything to say about it. Um, so, so he was actually pissing, extra pissing them off because he was so against that. Mm. Um, and people from Athens thought like, well, the democracy is the best thing ever. Um, but, but he's like, no, not so fast. Like the way it's working here, these politicians are just going to pull wool over our eyes and try to deceive us all. Um, and that's part of why he was killed from both pissing people off from just questioning them. Um, <laughs> but also uh, he was against the, what was happening uh, in the democracy and that they weren't concerned with the truth and nobody could question them. Right. Um, so what happened to <clears throat> Socrates is he was put to death um, by Athens. So they put him to death for basically, um, essentially, at the same time, he was known as the wisest man in Athens. So they put to death the wisest man in Athens. Yeah, what does that tell you? Right, and, and so... <laughs> And that's exactly where Plato, one of his students, is like, I cannot, he, he basically immediately had this huge hatred for Athens, and he's saying like, wait a minute, the wisest man in Athens, the, the man who's helped me so much with my thinking, helped all of his students. Who wants him, truth. Who wants truth for, for all of Athens and wants society to be, be based on morality and truth and, and wants to help everybody in Athens, he was killed. So what's going on there? I don't, how can humans do this? How, and, right. and his life work was to, to figure out what could make humans kill somebody like that, who is trying to uncover the truth and, and uh, morality for everybody. Right. So it kind of is this weird, weird thing that this is repeated through time. And like what we're going through now is very similar. And that's like, it's an exact who, parallel. It, it's exactly. Like cancel parallel. culture is an exact parallel to that's putting it. Socrates to death. It's taking yeah. people who are questioning the narrative um, not claiming to know, not claiming to say anything, but just questioning the mainstream narrative and asking questions to hopefully get people thinking. 
the reality is I think so many people are incapable of deep thought and actually thinking deeply and, and are just not prepared with the right tools to actually engage in, in dialectic um, that literally those people just essentially help shut people down that are asking questions, right? Like the people who don't know have no tools for engaging in, in you know, evaluating concepts with rigor are throwing stones and helping to cancel people who are asking the right questions. Because it goes against whatever they've identified with. Well, I'm wearing a mask all day. So that must be the truth. Because Justin Trudeau or the government or whatever said we should be doing this. How dare you say we shouldn't do that? You're basically saying I'm wrong and everyone's wrong. But it's not even saying you shouldn't do it. It's like, should we be forced to do this? Like, what is the reasoning? And you you get punished for that. It's really messed up. Yeah, or any other of the hot topics these days is like, again, it's just a it's just a question, and it's finding that, like you'd hope that we would find some sort of mutual better understanding so we can all work together towards some better solution. Right, um, but that's not that's not an existent thing these days, and um, and unfortunately, the truth is getting uh, buried further and further down underground, um, and that's not a very good place to go. Once the truth starts getting uh, buried and and more people are self deceiving, mm-hmm. um, and and just um, being deceived um, by by the people in power. Then it's um, it's quite dangerous. Uh, yeah, and it's a it's slippery, very slippery slope. Well, I want to talk about information fatigue because I've started to look into this. Like, <clears throat> basically, Sunday dinner with my family. Uh, Christina, my sister in law, brought up vaccines. She was like, you know, what do you know about vaccines? Like, Jackson is whatever, sixteen months or something like that. And she's like, I don't know what to do, right? There's this guideline of a vaccine schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a mother, she engaged in some inquiry, right? Like she didn't just listen to what her doctor said. We have to abide by the guidelines by the CDC or by the government. And she was like, well, I've heard some things in podcasts that might say that this might not be the best way of doing it. So she starts listening to podcasts. She starts looking into, um, I think, books and I could sense it when she talked about it. She was suffering from information fatigue, where it is basically information fatigue is a sense of overwhelm or mental exhaustion created by such mega doses of information that you cannot possibly make sense of things, right? Yeah. Like tr- trying to process and assimilate this information on a massive scale is virtually impossible for the individual to do. And so the result oftentimes is apathy where people are just like, well, I can't make sense. This is far too complicated to make sense of. So I just have to listen to the authorities. But what if the authorities aren't acting in the best interest? I love the idea of judging an authority by the worst thing that they do. And, you know, I literally was like, I'm going to look at the CDC guidelines for vaccine schedules. The first one directly after birth is to vaccinate like newborns for hepatitis B. The hepatitis B vaccine has toxins in it and the toxins are in there on purpose to make your body react more to the, um, you know, viral substance that's in the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So hepatitis B, the only way you can get hepatitis B is number one, if your mom has hep B, which is very uncommon. So if your mom doesn't have hep B, the only other ways to get it are basically by sharing needles and IV drug users or sexually active people. I don't know how many newborns are sexually active or doing IV drugs. So why the hell are we injecting toxins? Like it literally is so blatant that I was like, this can't be the case. And then I found this doctor that wrote a book, um, listened to a podcast with him on it. And he said the exact same thing. So if you're judging an institution by the worst thing that they do, and you see that the very first thing that doctors want to do, or that, sorry, that the CDC guideline is telling doctors to do is to inject babies with toxins directly after they're born, which has zero relevance to protecting them whatsoever then there's a problem. And so we're even going to do a task force with the Footner program where TFC is literally going to put up money to pay Footners to research rigorously for six weeks. What the hell is the truth for vaccines? Because like as a mother, you should, you have the right to know what is, what is the best information? What is the distillation of the best information so that I can make better decisions because some the person that i'm supposed to go to to help with these decisions might not be acting doesn't even have the they don't have the ability to do a shitload of research like doctors are overwhelmed as it is and it's like so it's very difficult and it's not black or white so never black or white so what people will now what you just said will probably spark people thinking um 
you hear the term like anti-vax, right. anti-vax, which or, is so, not the case. So instantly that goes. So then, so then again, people will close down and disengage from the dialectic, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what we're talking about. But it's very, and I like I don't know uh, enough. Um, again, on the topic, like we talked about, um, it's it's very, um, it's not it's not black or white. No, and and I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, some. Some vaccines are uh, quite warranted and sure. in different areas, probably even more warranted than others, depending on where you are yep. geographically and what kind of, um, you know, uh, things you have to deal with in terms of like, you know, uh, if you're in Africa and you have to deal with these diseases or if you're in this place. Sure. So I'm sure there's so many different cases where they're super, super warranted. And um, right. So and as it, a disclaimer, I'm not saying I'm definitely not. Like even just the cursory stuff that I've done to listen to this doctor, this doctor wrote a book called The Vaccine Friendly Plan, where it wasn't no vaccines or all vaccines. It was certain vaccines vaccines at certain times and and caveats to say that if your child is developing neurological problems, then we would then we pause or we increase the distance between vaccine doses. Like it was very it was a nuanced discussion of vaccines, which was so refreshing because everyone's like you're either pro or anti-vaccine. And that is part of the problem with why the world is in such a mess. Because if you take one of those two perspectives and are unwilling to be flexible and hearing the other people out or figuring out a middle ground through a dialectic of like, okay, well, what is the best? What is the best way? We're all on team, help kids live and live a good life. And if we're all on that team, we should have an open conversation. And how do we get to better answers of that? We ask critical questions and right. The, the right people start asking uh, critical questions to the other people who are like, so it needs to be like, yeah, the people who are a in discussion. the most know um, need to discuss this, like that the world experts need to start coming together and like, let's, let's actually discuss this. Let's start to really stress test these ideas. Do we need this? Mm-hmm. Well, what would happen if we didn't do it? Let's do a thought experiment. Let's do an, let's do an actual experiment. Let's, let's do right, a pro so, and con list. Yeah. Like so. is the pro worth all of the potential cons and have the, do we even know the cons? This is like one of the things that was highlighted with a lot of things is like, if you're doing a list of the pros and cons that you're aware of, it might seem like the pros are more than the cons, but what if you're not actually fully aware of all the cons? Like what if, what if we have to ask deeper questions about, well, was this done to determine the potential harm? Was this study done? Was this study done? Was this investigated? And if the answer is, well, that hasn't been done yet then it's an incomplete data set to be able to make a final decision. And then the best thing to do is err on the side of caution because you just don't know. And I feel like that's the case with many things that are, you know, in the drug world specifically. But I think when you don't know the uh, the full background data for something, then you're automatically ill prepared to essentially engage in a meaningful discussion. And when the other person questions, you know, basically, do you know, are you aware of this? and you're not, I think some people are quick to say, to dismiss it. They're like, well, I'm not aware of it, so that's not right. And that's the thing. And then, and that gets uh, kind of like jumbled up with this like um, kind of where where we put science at the, uh, we leave science to the scientists and then it becomes this real fallback strategy of like, you're not a scientist in this. Um, Well, you're not either. So, but then, (laughs) but the problem is then it's like, oh, well, we both don't know it's the scientists. Right. You know, like we, but, and it, and it is a problem because like, okay, well now only certain people have the information and that, that is like, to that point is like, we need those people in these uh, things that actually in these fields that study this kind of stuff to be engaging in dialectics and other people in different, because right. they have specialized information that a lot of people don't have. Um, but the information that they have needs to be used for, for, you know, uncovering the truth so that we can all move forward together in a positive manner. And I also think that the science has to be put through a diet, like the results of science need to be put through a dialect, uh, dialectical filter, right? Like something like 97% of scientists confirm the results trying to be proved by the people who funded them. So that alone, like part of a good dialectic is this scientist is bringing this result forward. Yeah. How was this study done? This person knows a lot about how studies are done. Let's have them ask questions about the methodology used by the study. Who actually paid for the study to be done? Yeah. Was this all of the research that was done or is this a subsegment of the research of the total research that was done which you're bringing forward at the exemption of all the other stuff? Like it has to it has to go deeper than just, "Oh, this is a research paper, a scientist did it. This is the truth." Well, look at what happens when you like we had a a uh, a course in uh, physiotherapy school that was all about uh, critically analyzing research and that we basically took the Socratic method to 
uh, research papers. And, and, and that was an interesting class because it, cause most people these days will be like, well, look, this article said it, or even worse, it'll get like uh, into the hands of media and media will say right. science said this. Yeah. And it, Conclusion said yeah. this. <laughs> so, so they'll, so it's like multiple layers of like deception. But if you actually looked at the paper, when we, when we started going through all these papers, we we're like, whoa, this is a terrible study. Right. And we learned how to question all we need. We learned how to question, um, the, the methods, um, the their, power their reasoning, of the their statistics. And we, there's all these things that we would just grill and then we would come to a conclusion and be like, wow, this study really didn't say much. Right. Uh, and that was like, I was surprised at how many studies were like, you know, if you just looked at the headline, you'd be like, "Wow, this is cool. Or like, look, it says this. And then we went through it. We're like, oh, that's garbage. And right. it was like, like, I don't know about you, but most of the studies were like either garbage or like so-so. Some were like, some we came across were like, oh, that, that's actually pretty good based because we really grilled it and it came out, uh, came out and we're like, wow, they really were clever in how they uh, set that experiment up and, and they used good statistics and they weren't trying to deceive. That's actually a good study. I feel like so, a lot of the ones that were well done, one of their biggest things in their conclusion was further research needs to be done. Well, and that, that too. And like when there's total honesty and transparency and good uh, metrics and, and all of that, uh, that's kind of what science is all about or should be about. But right. it's turned it into this thing that's kind of like spun out of control in a lot of cases. Well, so. we did a whole podcast on science versus research because research is a subcomponent of science. Science is the process of inquiring deeper research mm -hmm. is a single snapshot of the method of science applied to one specific thing yeah. but research is not the be all and end all research has to be put through the process of science to determine whether that was even good research mm -hmm. right and th this is like the problem of sense making is like okay if not all research is good and virtually no one, myself included, has the tools to evaluate rigorously whether science was or whether a research paper was well done or not how do you discover truth? And I think we just have to do it through conversation. Questioning and conversation. Question everything. And we need to open up lines. There needs to be better lines of questioning because uh, it, it's a problem when I when I can't ask questions or that um, when I talk to a bunch of people and they also have similar questions and, the, and they're frustrated because they can't ask the questions or they can't, right. they don't know where to ask the questions or they can't get the questions through um, to the people who are, who are dictating things. Um, so for example, I call the... Um, so I, you try to get in contact with the uh, the city councilor. Yeah, I tried that. Doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. So it doesn't work. So you, you try to get in contact with somebody higher up and they'll say, okay, well, no, you have to contact your city councilor first. And then you try to contact the city councilor um, and you can't. And then you try again and you can't. And then they don't return your calls. Um, right. Now they might return your calls eventually. Now, where would that go? So I don't know. I'm going to try again. And, and I just want to discuss like a bunch of different topics. And because I just want to question and see like, uh, I'm just curious about the whole process and like how they come to different decisions and different things. Not because I'm stuck on any given thing. I'm just, I'm just very curious about like, how does this kind of work? And like, you know, if I have a question, where do I ask? Like, how do I ask things? Right. Um, because me and a bunch of people who I know are, are wanting to just like ask stuff, right? Because we're curious because we want the best for you know society, our families, our friends and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, um, in the end you give up because I, I left six messages with six city councilors, different city councilors and different um, sort of districts in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Right after this whole thing of like mass or mandatory in Ottawa overnight, basically. And the only callback I got was from a nurse practitioner who was told to call me and ask me what my complaint was. And she didn't even speak English. She, I could only speak to her in French. Really? And I mean, I can speak French, but I also like am very, I'm not very fluent or smooth or, or, you know, in it. And I was like, this is pathetic. Not one of the offices called me back. I got a call from a random nurse who almost sounded like she didn't want to call me, but was like, did you have a question about masks? I was like, why is this the right place? Like, are you, <laughs> like it, it was just so weird. And it was like, there was so much friction that you're right. You Even if you have good questions to ask, you cannot ask them to the right people. There mm. is so much friction in the system to even reach people that are supposed to be your direct report in terms of the public being able to have a forum to ask questions to someone who then acts as your representative to ask to go up the hierarchy and then hopefully speak to someone who is has more pull in making decisions. And you're right. It's like, why can't we just know how you came to that decision? Like, why, why isn't it our right to even know that out the gate? Like, shouldn't there be a, a position paper that is in language that the public can understand that explains the decision chain that was that was embarked upon in order to make to enact a law? That's not too much to ask. Is it possible to have a politician or somebody in power who is like Socrates in that he wants 
what's right for the right reasons. Is it is that even possible? I don't know. Is it possible? It's possible, but is it possible right now? Or is it possible in 500 years from now? Well, I mean, you can just all a second layer of inquiry there is like, how do people get elected? And if we know that a lot of it is based on the money they receive in order to basically convince people that they are the right person for the job. Well, where is that money coming from? And what promises are being made in order to get that money? And they, I think that answers the question. So and is it, it like a corrupt, is the system just so, is it just corruptible so it's impossible? Well, I think the rules are just like the the fundamental rules of how we do. The game theoretically, it's just impossible. Right. It's the game, it's the the game theory is, is messed up. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many little permutations of improvement you make. If you're working within, within the same game theory, then there's you're never going to actually get to a, a system mm-hmm. that looks out for the benefit of, of the whole. And that's I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, right? But like, why don't we get panels of people leading countries instead of having one person? Like uh, this whole figurehead thing is really, I mean, I get it, but I also like, there's just, there's no transparency. I think part of like the frustration is that we just don't know. We just have no idea how decisions are made. Maybe they're made in the right way. Maybe there's a panel of really well-informed people having dialectical discussions. I highly doubt it, but maybe there is. But unless we're given transparent access to that and can actually see that, like how how can you, the hope is that you will attract the best thinkers to solve the biggest problems. Leading an entire country and making big decisions is a big problem. So you need to accumulate and collect really good thinkers. Well, guess what? The really good thinkers aren't the people who are trying to win a popularity contest. They're the people thinking. Yeah. Right? Like, It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's where um, on a more, on a kind of more um, micro scale, um, one of the things I want to talk about is just like how can we start having because if everybody if we do it from more of a grassroots level if everybody starts having more dialectical conversations and and thinking dialectically um that can actually lead to this kind of uh, wave starting to happen from the ground up where more Mm -hmm. and more people are demanding questions more and more people are critically thinking um and and really um everyone's having good discussions and we're all gaining more knowledge and insight to where each other are coming from all the things that dialectic is all about i think we need to do it from a grassroots level and my thing is like okay well how do we start that and it starts with the individual and it starts personal responsibility and and it starts like it starts with questioning questioning your your own assumptions and beliefs and starting to implement dialectical th- thought and dialectical discussions with friends, family, uh, peers, coworkers. And it starts just by starting somewhere. I think we all need to just right. do our parts to start somewhere. And, you know, somebody who's very vocal about some, um, even, you know, a family member very vocal about something at the dinner table or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, the the real art of this is how do we approach it? And, it, and there's a real fine line because we've already talked about how everyone's so emotionally charged and everybody is so quick to be, um, you know, the polarization and the, um, the argumentation and the, um, you know, right versus wrong win versus lose all of that is making it so hard to actually have dialectics play out. So how do we do that? And Mm -hmm. maybe it's just um, really kind of like, being like a chameleon and kind of filtering your way in and saying like, you know, ask a, just a very basic questions. Like, you know, how, I'm very like curious, um, like bring the spirit of curiosity, I think. Right. That's so And, and just be like, no, I'm, I'm just super curious. And back to that, like sincerity, good faith, um, earnestness. Um, and like, I'm just curious. I'm very curious. Um, just to, like, you know, what, how, where'd you see, like, see that, where'd you see that? Or mm-hmm. what, you know, what made you come to that? conclusion not because you're attacking it look i'm not attacking it at all i'm just like where um and maybe you have to start like crazy slow with some people and maybe other people like i love that shit right i I love i want somebody to i want to get into discussions and i want to like i actually crave it and i want people to who i can like expand my ideas right so i love hanging out with people who i expand my thought with right um so you want to, first of all, on that end, search out more people like that and have these really, really good conversations with. Mm-hmm. And then the people who are like the opposite of that right now or who aren't there yet, um, just start bringing them towards that, right? So so I think you can start trickling them and and then just opening up little slits of their mind saying like, oh, I never, I didn't actually think about that. It's like, thank you. 
Um, and, and then, okay, that's enough for today. And then we go at it. Right. And there is a certain element of like tact and more importantly, self-awareness of and emotional intelligence, right? Like you have yeah. to know what approach to take with what person, mm-hmm. the person who gets very easily emotional. <clears throat> and let's be real. Everyone is emotional as shit right now because the world is crazy, yeah. right? The whole, the global anxiety meter has just been cranked to the tilt and seems to be constantly getting more and more cranked. So we have to be extremely, um, you know, delicate almost with how we mm-hmm. go about conversations because there is a high propensity for people to get very emotional. Everyone is under just a high level of stress in general, whether it's their jobs or their families or whatever it is, financial security. Um, but I don't think we should not engage in those because I think that's part of the solution to the mess we're in is like actually, and you're right, like practicing. It is the solution. It is a solution. And practicing the dialectical method of having better discussions that are based on questioning that are objective um, can be practiced at a very uh, simple level, right? Like you said, at the dinner table with a friend, you know, I love having conversations with you because we can get pretty fired up about questions we're asking or about things we're saying, but we know that neither of us are going to target each other personally. We're just going to target what we're saying. Yeah. And, and every hard question you ask me, is actually a favor to me because if it wasn't a question I was asking myself, then I'm going to evolve my thinking based on things you're saying and vice versa. And that's very important. That is super important. So if we all start somewhere and start having these conversations, that's what kind of pushes the dial, uh, that pushes the dial forward. And it's, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's just the emotional, just letting things letting things go a little bit. And, you know, one thing that we can add into it is humor because humor is something that um, can kind of like break the ice a little bit. And, um, you know, and that it comes down to like the tactics of of what you use, but that just kind of like really guarantees and it shows the other person that like, it's all, it's nothing, nothing serious here. I'm not attacking you. It's all like, or maybe I can poke fun out that that's this thing that oh like like that's funny how they did that like that's, <laughs> right. that's hilarious like oh my god what kind of person you know so if you, humor used well can actually really be um, uh, a key part of the dialectic uh, and I think that more people need to to use humor because um, there's a real like in this polarization it's really like there's no humor humor has been zapped out of all of it like you were saying before right if you're forced to smile and laugh it immediately lightens the conversation even if it's a serious conversation i think um brett weinstein and his wife um did an episode a subset of an episode that they did on their podcast um was about good faith conversations and what is a what is even a good faith conversation how do you define that it's very ephemeral like it's very abstract but one of the things they said is you know we can't say that concrete exact elements needed for a good faith conversation but one thing that you can almost always detect in a conversation that seems to be being had in good faith is humor people that have zero humor whatsoever in the conversation they have um there is a lesser likelihood that that is a good faith conversation because people are just unwilling to be like just not take themselves too seriously and i think even good faith is like to me, good faith means engaging with the intention to improve your understanding, right? Back to this whole, I mean, this is a really core theme in everything we're talking about is like go in with the intention to understand the other person's perspective and not to prove that yours is the correct one. That is really hard to do, right? I, it's, it's, it, and like you said, every single conversation you have requires effort and work. And I think some people are, some people don't know that that's possible to put in. And some people are unwilling to put it in because it's actually way more convenient to not do that. And that's the thing. It's a numbers game. If there's more people that don't engage in dialectic, and if they if they outnumber them they, by orders orders of magnitude, then um, it's a losing game. You need both parties to come at it and mm-hmm. meet each other in the middle for dialectic to work, like we mentioned. So that's the that's kind of what we're poking at. Is that is like it seems in today's world, there's more and more people who are getting polarized and not engaging in dialectic. Right. That's a problem. So. And and like you said, I think it. it a better informed public that is more aware that the dialectical, you know, container is the best way to find truth. If people in general are better informed, then it automatic. it's sort of like the kryptonite to the abuse of power, right? If politicians are using rhetoric to try and trick people, but people are aware of, of their right to ask questions and also are aware of some of the tricks that can be played on them. If question, good questions aren't asked, then that is sort of the antidote. And I mean, the 
level of understanding of the population, the, you know, the ability of the population to ask good questions is the way that we get good leaders elected. I just, it just seems like, and maybe it's a numbers game and maybe that, that bottom up approach is. is maybe the bottom up <clears throat> approach is the way that it will actually change things because maybe as more people start getting on board with it and asking these questions, um, the numbers game can then start to work in your favor, right? Right. Because if everybody's asking good questions, what if 80% of the population wants to know some of these good questions and they're not getting answers? Well, we, what are these people who say that they're, they're doing things in our service, not giving us the answers that we're asking for, right? What's going on here? 80% of us, 90% of us, we're all asking yeah. these questions. Why aren't we getting the answers? Things will change. And maybe, yeah. I mean, at that point, all you need is someone to step up and say, Hey, I want to lead this country. Because I want to answer your question. I want to answer the good questions. In fact, yes. I want to ask the questions of what the previous, you know, people in charge did yeah. in order to learn how to do it better. Yes. Like that would be, that would be a massive shift in, in the ability to govern large populations democratically. If you just had someone that was truly open and transparent. And I think this is going to happen. I think in the next, you know, whatever, 15 years. A young person that's fed up of all the bullshit is going to do a social media driven campaign that's funded by the public or something like that or by, funded by some donor that is like, yeah, this is bullshit. I have lots of money. I'll help this cause. Um, and basically just say, like, listen, I want radical transparency in government. I want radical accountability. And I want to involve the public in the discussions that are happening that used to be happening behind closed doors so that we can get more people involved, more thinkers contributing to figuring out how best to collaborate and and function together as a country or as a world, really, right? Like that's just a little petri dish for what the entire what should be going on in the entire world. Um, and I'm pretty optimistic that like all of the madness going on. And the the unfortunate part is that when people are under duress and stress, they have less capacity to expand and and put in work on things to develop themselves, right? So like it just sucks because when things get most chaotic, is actually the the most fertile grounds for yeah, governments to sneak shit under the rug yeah. and not have people be able to have the the capacity to even engage in questions. They're just trying to survive, right? They're just trying to not go broke and feed their families. That's the prime time for people to take advantage and of them. More and and you more see that divided. It's it's really this like I, there's this crazy paradox that we're in the midst of talking about right now. Is like it's almost like the change is needed more than ever, but it's, it, but it almost appears that, um, it's harder than ever the, to make it. <laughs> it's, there's so much more polarization than, than ever. So it's this weird, weird conundrum, um, that needs to be, but yeah, I think optimism is the best way to, to go about it. And, um, just again, start with what you can do. Start right. with your friends, your family, um, your, your workplace. Start with yourself. Um, I would start even with say. yourself. Self-awareness, yeah. try and understand, the things that you could, the ideas that you could potentially be identifying with so that when someone challenges an idea with a question, you might freak out because you feel like they're challenging your personality or your character or you, when in reality, they're just challenging an idea. So working to disidentify and be very from ideas and to be flexible in your thinking and open, and once again, open-mindedness, like open-mindedness and don't take yourself too seriously. And I think it's a reminder that we all, someone who's open-minded will be receptive when someone says, Hey, you're getting upset about this. I'm not actually trying to, I'm not questioning you personally. I'm questioning your idea. An open-minded person will say, Oh yes, thank you for letting me know that because mm -hmm. no one is impervious to this. It's just the people who put in more work to live a more examined life are going to be more aware of the biases they carry into conversations or just the emotional baggage that they might be carrying in without even realizing it. So start with yourself and then find people that you can work with to hold each other accountable to getting better. Yeah, and that that's actually a classic line from Socrates. The unexamined life is not worth living. So start with yourself and just slowly strip away at ways that you deceive yourself and mm -hmm. um, strip away at um, these, these big sloths of ignorance that you may have um in, in your life and ignorance is just areas that you're just uninformed or you have these presuppositions that you're not aware of um uncover aspects of ignorance in your life and how you're deceiving yourself so that you can get on a slightly better path over time towards kind of like the, the your true self or the, the the truth of the matter because we all like to deceive ourselves and we all kind of mm -hmm. you know it's it's a lifelong game um but but we can't let that self-deception just kind of like fold us and uh, and crush us so yeah and i think one last point before we end off is like really you know 
people that are getting chastised for answer for asking questions take a deeper look at the people who are chastising them yes right so if, if someone is getting punished for asking good questions instead of jumping on the bandwagon and saying oh how could you think that just think like why aren't we allowed to ask that questions we are all allowed to question decisions made by the people who we put in power they work for us we are allowed to ask questions we're allowed to ask each other questions we should ask ourselves questions on a frequent basis so you know get in the habit of questioning things more frequently and it's like a muscle the more you question things the easier it is to come up with good questions to ask about different things because it's very important because i said so is not a good answer yes. and you've known that since you're a terrible kid. answer you've known that since you were a kid all right? <laughs> right right when you when you figure that out that's a huge moment in your life when you develop enough um in childhood and you realize that your parents saying because i said so is not really worthy uh, anymore or right. worthy answer um, that's a breakthrough, right? But we, we can't stop there. <laughs> it seems like that's where the programming begins because if your parents say that, then you might be more accepting when other people say that, you know, when institutions say, oh, because that's the way it's, the worst the one way is that's is. the way it's been. The that's the worst been. one. And people yeah. think that that's a good argument. It's like, where did you... And then it just stops. Like, oh, so oh okay, that's a, great, that's a great answer to my question. Right. Why is this the way? Because it's the way it's been, because, it's, because I said so, because that's the way it works. Okay, why does it work that way? And then it doesn't go further. So right. again, but things change. I mean, you know, I think it was like 50 or 60 years ago when doctors would literally smoke cigarettes in the offices. And now smoking is like, people know that smoking is terrible for you. So even in that, if culture can change that much with just one, that's just an example of one unhealthy behavior, we can change the culture to people who ask more questions and to one that's more permitting of people asking questions instead of one where people get punished for asking questions. Yeah. So um, yeah, anyway, we hope that, was helpful we hope that that shed some light on um the value of asking questions instead of giving instead of trying to think that you know the answer uh, our goal at tfc is always to ask better questions instead of pretending like we have um the good answers and uh yeah get started practice dialectical thinking practice having good conversations and even working with you know people that are your friends or your family to understand what a good conversation is because before you can have them you have to know what the fun foundational elements are so the ones that you listed at the start there, Mike, I think are a good place to start. So thanks for listening. Catch you next week.